I want to start tonight with a survey. I don't usually do this. But if I can go around the table in no particular order, whatever comes to your mind first, I want to know if you had to define it in a nutshell, what is love? The floor is open. Give me one word, three words, a sentence, something. If you had to, de- if you had to define it. Nurturing spiritual growth. Anybody else? Consideration of others. Consideration of others. Unconditional acceptance. Unconditional acceptance. That's well, I was, powerful. I was going to say something along that line, but also <coughs> when you put the needs of the person you love above your own, mm-hmm. that to me is, is the definition of love. Okay. You can, get pa- you, you can get past yourself yeah. and put somebody before you. Anybody else? These are, these are great. I had no idea where this is going to go, by the way. I just... A passion that you're drawn to. A passion that you're drawn to. A feeling of attraction, yes, in a way. Not necessarily in a person, but in, could be in other things. Yes. Uh, for example, uh, a hobby or a sport or, or people. So it's a passion that attracts you, that you're drawn to. Okay. This is great. Google. I, I typed it into Google today, Okay. Here's their one-liner definition for love. Intense feeling of deep affection. Okay, here's Wikipedia's definition. A feeling of strong attraction and emotional attachment. And then I read <clears throat> that there's what they call a color wheel theory of love, where they say it's like a trifecta of intimacy, passion, and commitment. Okay, they were more trying to define the, um, the feeling inherent in love. A lot of the definitions here were the practical manifestation of it, right? Putting someone's needs before yourself, nurturing growth, uh, a consideration for others. That would be the, I guess, the mirror image, right? If you had these feelings, that's what you would do for the other who's, let's call it the, the beloved. The letter tonight, letter 18, is about love. And uh, according, to according to Hasidic teachings, Kabbalistic literature, certainly, there's no doubt about it, that love carries uh, these traits. Intimacy, passion, commitment. Um, in fact, in Hebrew, the most fundamental translation of the word ahava, which we know as love, uh, is connected to the root ava, which means want or desire. Fundamentally, love is defined as a desire to connect. Interestingly though, the Rebbe has some notes, particularly on this letter, where he describes love, particularly the love described in this one, as an open state of feeling. An open state of feeling, where the heart and soul are open. That's the feeling of love. It's an interesting definition. In, in, in the context, and of course the context of this letter is love towards Hashem. So while we can translate it to love between spouses, love between children and parents, many different forms love can take on, in the context of our love with Hashem, the Rebbe defines Ahava as 
a state of consciousness where you just feel open. I mean, we, we have, we've all been there, no doubt about it. Someone experienced a moment where uh, you just say, my soul is open. I can feel it. I'm in it. I'm in the zone. I got peace. It can be an at-peace feeling. Sometimes it can also be a wanting feeling, a desire, a fulfillment, all kinds of ways that it can take on. But the idea of openness, opening your heart, opening your soul. In a Jewish relationship with God, Judaism is an action-based religion. So primary is the behavioral aspect of Judaism. The bottom line. Did you wrap tefillin? Did you shake the lulav? Did you eat the matzah? Yet, almost equally important is an emotional part of Judaism. If you can remember way back when, we spent almost a third of book one of the Tanya. Something like 16 out of 53 chapters were dedicated to this idea of developing or cultivating an emotional relationship with God. It's super important. The Talmud says, mitzvah below kavana keguf below neshama. A mitzvah with no intent is like a body without a soul. In Hasidus, we break down the emotional connection to God into two general parts. Ahava love and fear. Fear doesn't mean fear of a whip. Fear connotes loyalty or, or uh, a respect, an awe, a submission. I, if, if I had to define it as fear, I would say fear of violating the relationship. That's the fear. It's not a fear of punishment or a fear of what's going to happen to me. Will I be struck by lightning? I don't want to mess this up. I have Hashem in my life and I want to keep him close. Love is that closeness, is that connection. And there are multiple levels in love and fear and many of the chapters in the 40s of book one of the Tanya were all about different levels of love and fear. And uh, here we return. The subject is mainly love, two types of love that the Alter Rebbe explores. And um, it's a short letter quite cryptic. I'm going to present it to the best of my understanding. And I think it'll best be appreciated if we juxtapose love to fear. So we'll lay the backdrop on the fear level and then see if we can translate that into love. The bottom line, again, if I understand the Alter Rebbe's supposition correctly, is as follows. The relationship between you and Hashem that blossoms from fear is not innate to the Jew. Therefore, it can and must be attained through work. Even the verse in the prophet says, a person is born a wild donkey. It's a verse. Ayar pere adam yivaled. A person is born a wild donkey. Reining ourselves in, a committed dedicated lifestyle is not in the cards, naturally, for, uh, for a human being, even for a Jew. However, we are commanded to work on it, to reach it in the ways that we can. In fact, it's written that one of the questions you get asked when you get up there, there's a list of questions. 
we know some of the, we have some inside intel about the questionnaire that you get. Mm-hmm. And one of them is, Yagata biyirah. Have you toiled in fear? And the Reshit Chachma, one of the authoritative works in Kabbalah, says, Oy lo labasar Woe is to the flesh that hasn't toiled in fear. The implication is that to achieve a relationship of fear and awe to Hashem, it requires toil. It's not easy. Naturally, you have lusts and cravings and desires and you want to do whatever you want and you don't want to be stuck to a timetable and certain days yes, certain days not, do this, do that. No, no human wants those governing rules. But we have to work and we have to achieve it. There's another verse that Al-Tarebbe quotes which says, reference to Yirat Hashem, to fear of Hashem, it says, kakesef. Have you sought after it like you would seek after gold or silver or treasures? And way back in chapter 42 in book one, the Al-Tarebbe illustrates, he says, you know, if you were digging a hole and you know there's a treasure chest at the bottom of the hole, would you get tired? You don't get tired. You know that Peter is down there. You're not going to give up. Your pursuit of fear of Hashem should be with the same enthusiasm and the same energy as one who digs after treasure. Again, the implication being that it requires digging. It requires work. It requires effort. It requires toil. That's the thing with fear. It's not innate, must be attained. Love, says the Alter Rebbe, works the opposite. It cannot be attained. It's either innate and you're just cultivating it or it's gifted from above. And clearly the context here is love to Hashem. I'm not talking about love between humans. That's a different thing. A relationship of love to Hashem where your heart and soul should be open and feeling and connected and passionate and desirous, it's either you're working with an innate love that you have and cultivating it, bringing it to the fore, or it's being gifted. Otherwise, a loving relationship with Hashem is impossible. The only attainable relationship with Hashem emotionally is a level of fear. We could all do that to ourselves. You ponder enough how great Hashem is, the master of the universe, everything He's done and created, and how you're a little, tiny little creature and He has everything planned out for you to the tiniest detail. That could bring about a great respect. Wow, I, I shouldn't mess with this. This is big stuff. You can train yourself to function as a servant of Hashem based on fear, even if you weren't born with it, even if you don't have it, even if it's not inside you. Love has to be traced to one of two places, somewhere deep inside or somewhere deep above. Otherwise, it's impossible. And that's the two loves that the Alter Rebbe talks about in this letter. He goes into the innate love that's cultivated and the Sublime love that's gifted. In each one, there's many levels, many facets, no doubt about it. We can explore each one further, but in the, in the letter, he's just going to tell us that there's two basic ways. First, actually in the letter, the Alter first talks about the gifted love and then the innate one, but I think it'll be better understood if we go the opposite way. First, let's talk about the innate love, the love that every Jew has. Also discussed in the first book of Tanya at length in chapters 18 and 19, it's called the Ahava Misuteret the love that every Jew is born with. There's a spark, there's a fire to God that's in there. The Alter Rebbe describes it in this letter as a love and deep desire experienced by the soul 
to cling to Hashem, to be bound up in the bond of life, a state of awareness where being close to Hashem is good and desirable, and being distant, putting up a dividing iron curtain, is bad. That's the state of innate love. Every Jew is born with this. Every Jew is born. They talk about an inner moral compass. This is an inner godly compass. Every Jew is born with that feeling and the knowledge that if I'm on the straight and narrow in terms of my relationship with Hashem, I feel good. When I'm not, uh, I feel icky. There's something clashing with my identity. And it's great to be around God. This is the innate thing. And the altar Rebbe says, I don't care who you are, I don't care how you act. I don't care how affiliated you are, how religious you are, how smart you are, how observant you are. It makes no difference. You have this innate love inside your neshama. The thing is, the fact that it's innate is the biggest blessing and the biggest curse at the same time. It's the biggest blessing, of course, because that's it. You have it. We're wired. We're programmed. This is who we are. The problem is that because we haven't worked for it, we can take it for granted and we can mute it. Be quiet for a while, okay? I want to go do what I want to go do. And that's what allows for the soul to enter an alternate reality, what the Talmud calls the Ruach Shtut, the spirit of folly, temporary insanity, Jewish insanity, where we go against the logic of our own soul, of our own inner voice and do the things that we shouldn't be doing. That's the curse of this innate love. It's not so loud because it's just there. Even then, by the way, the altar says, it's not going to leave you alone. You think you're going to quiet it, you think you're going to leave, you think you're going to go do what you want, but in the end, you're going to feel regret. The feeling of regret, the Jewish guilt that we're all so familiar with, that comes from this innate love. It doesn't shut up. It doesn't let you rest. The Talmud says, Rishaim mileim charatot. The wicked men are full of regret. And the idea is that they just, you know, they keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but they keep going back and doing and doing and doing. But the Alter Rebbe's twist on it is, what's the reason why they always have regret? Wouldn't you think after a while you just get into your pattern and that's what you do? But this is who I am. No, something about us doesn't let up. I tell you, yesterday was like Bomer. I was in the park. Okay, and I had a couple of free minutes. Took my tefillin. Was walking around and offering people to put on tefillin. Many said yes. Some said no. I've gotten a thousand no's in my career. But I noticed it again. And I was talking it over with a friend. Even when the Jew says no, there's something about him that doesn't let him say no outright. It's always like he's slipping out of it. I'm on the way to something. Don't interrupt me. I'm on a phone call. I'm with my kids. There's something that they just get uncomfortable about saying an outright no to a simple offer to do a mitzvah. Why? I believe that's what it is. It's the ahava mesuterat. It's the hidden love at work. It's something inside of us that doesn't let us. It doesn't give us a freebie when we decide to cross the line. He goes, listen, you decide to shut me up, I can, I can go to sleep. But I'm always there. You can't, you can't extinguish the flame. Of course, ideally, the idea is to cultivate the love. You have the pilot light. It's on. It's on inside the heart. 
Now do what it takes to allow it to come up to the fore. The Alter Rebbe says, attack it layer by layer. You know, work from the outside in. The most peripheral parts of yourself are your thought, speech, and action. That's where you relate with the, other, with the outside world. Not the way your mind works, not the way your heart works, just what you're actually doing, what you're actually saying, and what you're actually thinking. Those are areas where you can start and get in control. In fact, one could say it's the only areas where you can have ultimate control. The way your consciousness works, the way you feel, those may not change. But what you say, what you do, and, how you, and what you think, the thoughts you allow into the brain, those can certainly you can be in control. Who remembers the Benoni? That was the hero of the Tanya, the hero of book one. He's the guy who has achieved total self-mastery in those areas. So you start with that, and you work, you work inwards. You clear away the deed. You make that area holy. Then you clean out the talk stadium. Then you clear out the thought stadium. And before you know it, you've moved aside enough curtains that the fire can now jump forth. Free it from its prison is actually the expression that the Alter Rebbe uses. And then you start the positive work. You know how they say in, in, in relationships, you can't create a void if you're not going to fill it. You can't take away a toy if you're not going to replace it with relationship or whatever it is. No such thing as just negative consequences. It has to always be filled with a positive replacement. So you've cleared your mind and heart and deeds of uh, unwanted stuff. Now you have to start the conditioning process again and recondition your mind to be proper. Get your thoughts to think Torah thoughts, to be aligned with the spirit of your creator. The Alter says it'll filter down. You think about Torah during the day, you'll find yourself speaking Torah during the day. You find yourself speaking Torah during the day, it's just a short path from there to where you're doing more and more performance-wise in the way that you should be doing. So you clear it out from the outside in, and then you recondition from the inside out. Doesn't come easy. You need Hashem's help for it tremendously. Dalt Rebbe describes beautifully the prayer that a Jew might offer for help. You know, he would say, Hashem, help us fill my heart with only the love for you. Don't allow foreign loves and lusts to take over. And he compares it to like two, two women in the house. In the olden times, it was very common to have co-wives. One was like the mainstay of the home and the second one maybe like a secondary wife. He said, you know, let the love for you be the mainstay of the home, and let the other one just be in servitude. We don't have to chase her away. We, we may never get there. But... Let her know her place. We can use her for positive eating, positive drinking, positive physical respects. But for spiritual service of Hashem, keep it hidden in exile. That's the words he uses. Let her be ruled. What's the bottom line? The bottom line is if you're dealing with a love that requires your investment in creativity, the one constant that's going to be there is that it will be a struggle. 
Just because you won today doesn't mean you'll win tomorrow. Today's success doesn't guarantee tomorrow's follow-up success. You have to always be vulnerable and honest enough to admit that you're weak and perpetually in a state where you can just fall over the cliff in a moment's notice. It's actually very reminiscent of the Benoni struggle. The Benoni is the guy who retains absolute control on thought, speech, and action, but he never believes that he passed the threshold of becoming a different person. He knows that he's got to wake up tomorrow morning and engage in the same battle. And every day will be a battle, every hour will be a battle, every minute will be a battle. He's in the arena, he's, he's in the playing field. The defenses stay up, you never get comfortable. That's the innate love. Every Jew is connected, every Jew must cultivate, but cultivation comes with a price. In a way, you can call it you're always left wanting. The love never gets satisfied because it has to always be fed, always be maintained. Dr. Abba compares it to somebody who is thirsty and never gets the drink. He's thirsty, wanting, desiring, reaching out, yearning. But the quench never comes. It's a great state to be in in terms of Hashem constantly feeling the yearning for him. But, yeah, you don't get to reach satisfaction necessarily in that way. But then you have the second level of love. The second level of love is called the gifted love. And the gifted love, first, doesn't come to everybody. The Alter Rebbe describes it as an experience of wonderful pleasure from the divine with great intense joy a joy and expiration of the soul in tasting that Hashem is good, pleasant and sweet to the most wonderful extent. He says it's literally a semblance of what's going to happen in the world to come when we're going to sit and bask in divine light. It's a pleasure with Hashem. If I could use my words, I'd paraphrase it, I'd say this is a love that's not about wanting, but about having You've got it already. The pursuit is over. You've reached the pinnacle. You're at the peak. You climb to the summit. And now, you get that rush. That pleasure of, ah, I'm here and I'm loving it. In Kabbalistic literature, it's called Ahava Betanugin. The love that comes along with delight. Not the regular love of Ahava, Ava, wanting and desire, distance. This is a love of closeness. And no one, not just everyone, gets to experience this. This is called, the Torah says, Simchu Tzadikim Ba'ashem. The righteous get to be happy with Hashem. In the Zohar, it's called the service of Kohanim. Kahuna is not, a, is not you can't earn it. Kahuna is hereditary, it's gifted. Hashem gave the present of Kahuna to Aaron and his children, and that's it, you're born a Kohen. In the same way, Sometimes you're just born into the type of love of being at peace, of being at home with Hashem. There is no struggle. The battle is over. The fire is constant and it's just beautiful. Of course, gifts never come out of nowhere. The paradox of a gift is that you can't earn it, but you got to set it up. 
the reason somebody will give you a gift, as the Talmud says, is because you must have done something, a favor to them, some kind of expression of good to them, and they're mirroring it in a way that's beyond what your deed deserves. But you never give a gift out of nothing. That's how, the, that's how humans work. So in the same way, Hashem doesn't give gifts out of nothing. A person set himself up for success. You teed it up. Now Hashem hits it out of the park for you. He gives you that, that delight. And with this, the Alter Rebbe explains a verse in the Song of Songs in Shira Shirim. It says, How wonderful and how pleasant you are, love and delights. Literally, it's an expression of praise to the Jewish people, their befitting of God's love. But the Alter Rebbe says, we're talking to the love itself. Your beautiful and pleasant love of delight. The love of struggle, of yearning, it's not always so beautiful and pleasant. It's a great experience but it takes work. The love of delight, that's relaxed, that's calm. They once asked the third Rebbe of Chabad, the Tzemach Tzedek, they said, what was Moshe Rabbeinu's emotional reaction at the moment of the splitting of the sea? You can imagine, you know, it's like the culmination of everything. There's been plagues, they've been out of Egypt. Egyptians behind them threatening complete, you know, and total annihilation. And Hashem makes that greatest miracle on the sleeve splits. Moshe is standing in the front leading the people. What was he feeling? So the Tzadmach Tzedek said, Moshe Rabbeinu is given kalten brand. That means he was hot ice. You could see nothing on the outside, but he was burning on the inside. That's what true Ahavah Gim looks like. The trademark of the innate love, the one that comes with struggle, is that it's loud and noisy and fiery and engaged. The trademark of the delightful love is stillness and quiet. That's why the greatest tzaddikim, when they would daven, it was just still. No jumping around and this and that. Because your relationship with God is at peace. When does a fire cackle? When the wicks are not exactly fit to the fuel. When a fire burns beautifully, that's when you know you've done it right. It's a peaceful burning. Very reminiscent, again, from the first book of the Tanya of the Tzaddik, the inspired Jew. The Jew doesn't have to throw wood into the fire and keep it going. He just has it. Because he has that soul, he's been gifted with it. And the Rebbe, in his notes on this letter, he says, it sounds like this love of delight is just a dream. We can talk about it. It's a wonderful level. But you said yourself, it's only gifted. So we can talk about it, learn about it, study, but it remains academic and far from us. But the Rebbe says that sometimes we can get gifted it. We may not even know, but we can feel what a tzaddik feels. And he finds a hint to this in the biblical story of Joseph and, ben, and Binyamin. When, when all the brothers finally came, Yosef's final trick was that he put the cup of silver, his silver goblet, he hid it in Benjamin's bag. And that led to the ultimate showdown between Yehuda and Yosef, and that's when Yosef revealed himself. So Hasidah says, Kesef, in Hebrew, silver, is representative of desire. Nichsof nichsafti, I have a great yearning for God. Yosef was the ultimate tzaddik. He was the guy who experienced the love of delight. He's a man that even in Egypt could survive and maintain his, his saintliness. And he hid the cup of silver 
he hid the yearning and desire that he experienced. He gave a taste of his gift to Binyamin, to the regular Jew. That's the meaning of the hiding of the goblet. Sometimes us around the table, we experience a tremendous moment of divinity. We don't know where it came from, why it's here, but we have it. That's a taste sometimes of tzaddik-like, tzaddik-like relationship with God. And in fact, the Rebbe observes that this book, book four of the Tanya that we're in, is a book of letters. But this discourse, letter 18, it's actually not a letter. It's a discourse that was seemingly written in a different context. We don't know why, but it's here, says the Rebbe, because it follows last week's theme. Last week, we talked about two types of reward. A limited reward in Gan Eden and an unlimited infinite reward in Olam Haba, in the world to come. One as a reward for Torah study, one as a reward for mitzvahs. Says the Rebbe, these two loves mirror that. Sometimes we have a limited love, like, a, like the experience of Gan Eden. That's the one that we've worked on. But when we do our best, we bring upon ourselves a gift from above to give us a taste of that higher love, like what it'll be when Mashiach comes. And so the more we do now, the more we make sure that when it comes the moment of, of the Mashiach experience, we've created enough miniature versions that we can say, aha, now I get it. And now I'm ready to experience the revelation of what it will be when Mashiach comes. May it be speedily. Amen. 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 Amen.